what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith and i'm your other co-host Corey tyndall whoop, whoop. Yeah. and this week uh we have kind of a packed show we do um, this is a before <laughs> show so you guys will get a before and after show film school segment um mm-hmm. as we talk about uh plot structure yes and Stranger Than Fiction, and I don't know if you got a chance to read uh, Film Crit Hulk's article about the myth of the three-act structure. No, I did not. Okay. I did. Okay. Um, so we'll talk about that, uh, but and we'll also talk about our expectations for a couple movies, mm-hmm. and before we get into that, we'll talk about what we've been watching in some news. So, Corey, have you been watching anything? I haven't watched a ton of stuff. The only thing of note was yesterday actually uh rewatched force awakens so oh, okay i only saw it once when it came out so it was nice to kind of see it like past all the hype and like i mean and and i tried not to get caught up in the hype but i feel like we ran star wars into the ground so it's like as excited as i was to see force awakens i was also kind of like i'm glad to be done with star wars yeah. for a while so it was just nice to like watch it and Honestly, a lot of my initial reactions when we first saw it, I think they were pretty spot on. It's like, I liked it. It does have pacing problems. Yeah, it's it not the best Star Wars, but it's still, I don't, I don't think it's the worst one, and I enjoyed it, so. Yeah, I haven't watched I picked it up, but I haven't watched it yet. Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to watch any of the special features? No. Um, I've heard the making of is really good. Okay. Um I've also heard the making of is kind of disingenuous. Oh. (laughs) uh, Yeah, the two big things that I heard were um, they kind of act like J.J. was always the first choice to direct this movie, and he was not. Um, I think they asked like five or six other people before they got to J.J. Um, And they also don't address Han uh, uh, Harrison Ford's leg injury at all. Oh. In the making of documentary, which pushed them back like five weeks or something. Oh. So it seems like you would address that. Yeah. That's kind of a major thing. He's a main production. character in this film, yeah. Yeah, so I've heard it was like fluff, but I've also heard it was really good. Yeah. So. But I mean, it was just good to watch it again, like I said, with kind of like clear eyes mm. and... I don't know. I mean, I know some people are going to claim still it's like, it's the best Star Wars ever. I mean, it's fun and enjoyable, but it's not... Really good characters. Yeah, really good characters. Um, You know, lots of stuff. I'm, like, excited to see Episode Eight, but... I mean, there's so many things that were still like, oh, yeah, like... I think, like, you described it best, because I watched it with someone who who hadn't seen it. Mm. And I was just like, yeah, the best way to describe this film is, like, it was safe. It just made a lot of safe choices, Mm -hmm. because... I watched it with Hannah's dad, and he hadn't gotten to see it, and so he was just like, didn't, did they do another Death Star? It was like, <laughs> as we're, like, as we're watching the movies, like, it just felt a lot like a New Hope, and I was like, yes, therein lies the, uh, problem. 
Yeah. Of this film. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure if you like strip away a bunch of the sound mix, there's just air horns and J.J. Abrams going remix over and over <laughs> again because it's just the original trilogy remix. Like, I feel like very much Act One, Act Two, and Act Three are New Hope, Empire, and yeah, Return, like all crammed into one movie. Yeah, it has enough new elements to warrant it's a different movie but there's enough where it's like the initial backbone is new hope yes so very much that doesn't mean i hate it so people don't freak out at me yeah it's the truth yeah it's my least favorite part about the entire affair (laughs) for sure but i mean it's fine it's it's good and it does move very fast i mean even compared to new hope it just takes off Mm mm-hmm like, it's like, even with Poe and, you know, uh, Kylo Ren at the beginning, it's just, from there, it's just nonstop. Yeah, it's exhausting almost. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, kind of hard to watch because of that pace. It's like, just give us some space to, like, yeah. uh, give us some space or in space. <laughs> I know, I'll be here uh, all week. Anyway, that's all I watch. You live here now? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Let's see, I picked up Force Awakens, I haven't watched it yet. Mm-hmm. I've been watching the crap out of Animaniacs on Netflix. I didn't even know it was on Netflix. Now I'm going to have to go. four seasons <laughs> of Animaniacs on Netflix. And it's basically the best thing that's ever happened to me. So Animaniacs is a show that I remember watching when I was a kid, but never really like loving, loving, loving. Yeah. Um, but I would watch it and I thought it was like enjoyable and I liked it. Yeah. I watched the first episode and I was like, yeah, apparently I, on some subconscious level, was crazy about this show because every single joke is something I do daily. Like, oh. And the, the, everything about that humor is just me yeah. as a person. Like, there, it had such a profound impact in my life and I <laughs> didn't even know it until I went back and rewatched it right now and now i'm obsessed with it because i can't believe like (laughs) to the point where it feels like me now traveled back to 1992 and was like mr spielberg have i got an idea for you yeah and and it was this like it i it's so crazy how much this lines up with like everything that i am as far as my humor yeah as far as like the references that i make it's it's insane Maybe you liked it and you just subconsciously, like, tucked it away or something. Mm-hmm. I had to have. But there's so <laughs> many jokes, like... Okay, so this obvious... This is an example from my real life. Yeah. But one of the things that I do is, uh, especially to bug my wife, I'll just take everything she says literally. Yeah. So if she loses her phone... I do this without fail, by the way. <laughs> Every time she can't find her phone, and I go, do you want me to call it? She goes, yes. And I go, Kristen's phone! Kristen's phone! Oh. <laughs> because I'm calling it. Yeah. Um, but in the first episode, Dr. Scratch and Sniff tells them, okay, plant yourselves on the couch, and they become flowers on the couch. And I was like, I feel like I wrote that, Joe. Yeah. And just, like, all the pop culture references, because it takes place at Warner Brothers Studios. Yeah. So there's all these, like, weird Warner Brothers references, like, Uh weird, like, Casablanca references, and (laughs) just, like, stuff kids are not going to understand at all. And then there's, like, Slappy the Squirrel is, like, this old Hollywood, uh... Uh like cartoon characters so she's just like Ugh, like a gruffled <laughs> lady and like 
The three pigeons oh, yeah. are, they're, they're the Goodfellas from Goodfellas. They're called the Goodfeathers. Oh. Totally lost on me as a child. Yeah, but I know like, I've got that. They are very obviously Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, and, and Joe Pesci. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, they, they go out of their way for it. I, I could not believe it while I was watching it. It just... Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's insane, the amount of stuff you pick up now. Like, yeah. There's an episode where they help Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel, and the only portion that he doesn't have painted um, is the, like, man and God. I yeah. I don't remember what that is called. But, but yeah, I know we're, yeah. like, they're reaching to they're touch reaching. each other. Yeah. yeah. And they're always, ta- they're, like, Michelangelo's freaking out because his eminence is coming, his eminence is coming, his eminence is coming. Yeah. So you think the Pope is going to show up? So the, the episode ends with... The, the Animaniacs going, okay, we'll paint that. Like, you go greet his eminence. Yeah. And so he goes to greet his eminence, and then they paint it, and Michelangelo looks up to what they painted, and he, like, freaks out, because what they painted was um, E.T. and Elliot reaching out oh, to each okay. other. Oh, <laughs> okay. And then it pans up, like, because he's been kissing the feet of his eminence, and it pans up, and it's Spielberg. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, what? What is this joke? Yeah. I don't even understand. Yeah, so it's just... All that stuff is is an Animaniacs, and I wow. just t- apparently tucked that away somewhere. I missed all that stuff. Maybe I was just too young, because I remember yeah. watching it, too. It wasn't, like, a go-to show, but it's like, if it was on, I'd watch it, yeah. and I liked it, so... Yeah, but then I was thinking about it, and I was like, man, Spielberg is also responsible for some really good cartoons, because he also did Tiny Toons, which I love. Oh, yeah, I used to watch that. Um, And that was also Spielberg, and then Animaniacs had Pinky and the Brain yep. spinoff, obviously. And, uh, uh, the show called Hysteria? I don't know if you remember that one. It Mm-mm. seems to be, I'm one of the only people who remembers this, but I watched it way more than I watched Animaniacs, and it was, it was basically Animaniacs, it was basically like that Michelangelo episode. So yeah. it was just all stuff throughout history. Yeah. Um, and without the Animaniacs in it. So it was just like, an Animaniacs-style show about certain events in history. Yeah. So maybe that's where I got it from, because the humor was very much the same. Yeah, similar, yeah. And I watched Hysteria way more. I don't know. Uh, And then Freakazoid, which I... Yeah, I was just about to say, wasn't that him too? Yeah, I never watched that one. That was a weird show. Yeah. Man. But, I mean, it had very... It was, like, Animaniacs humor, like, a step up from that. Mm. So, it was just... Everything was, like, very, like, surreal and, like... It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I watched that. And then, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, I watched mm. a movie called The 400 Blows. Mm-hmm. Um, and The 400 Blows is uh, kind of a seminal movie for a movement of film called The French New Wave. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get there if we keep doing before and after show film school. Yeah. Um, basically, French New Wave is if... So at the time, cinema in France was a lot of these sort of big, opulent period pieces like with about French history mm-hmm. and European history, so about all the kings and monarchs and stuff. Yeah. And the French New Wave was a, basically a group of directors who were tired of those being the only things in cinemas. Yeah. So they started drawing on their life and growing up uh, basically through World War II in France mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and giving these more sort of on-the-ground, gritty um, stories to people. So mm-hmm. that's basically, like, the French New Wave is kind of... People are, like, 
if you want to like characterize a hipster or someone on a show, yeah, <laughs> you make them be obsessed with a bunch of French New Wave movies, yeah. But it's weird because it's not like it's just like a realistic style of filmmaking, and most of the dramatic films we see nowadays are heavily influenced by the French New Wave, oh. so it's not really an insult. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Boyhood is a movie that is very much like The 400 Blows because it's a coming-of-age story that's semi-autobiographical, <clears throat> as is Boyhood. Mm -hmm. It's, like, to the point where I feel like watching 400 Blows made Boyhood, boyhood make sense to me. Oh, okay. So it was directed by this guy named Francois Truffaut, mm -hmm. and Truffaut is a film critic turned director. And he's considered one of the all-time great directors. Oh, that's kind of cool. But Truffaut was a film critic that was so negative he was banned from the Cannes Film Festival for being too negative <laughs> in 1958. Wow. One year later, in 1959, he came back to Cannes as a director with the 400 Blows and took home the top director's prize. Wow. <laughs> so <Whoa. laughs> maybe he was right the whole time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, and he's considered, like, kind of the grandfather of the whole movement, him and a couple other guys. Mm -hmm. um, but Truffaut and, and Hitchcock had a really good relationship with each other. Oh, okay. Um, there's a really, like, famous film book called Truffaut on Hitchcock or something like that, where mm -hmm. Truffaut interviewed Hitchcock for this book, and it's basically transcripts of those interviews. So. Wow. Yep. What a guy. Yeah. <laughs> Truffaut's actually, he's pretty sweet. Um, and he actually took the character... From the 400 Blows mm -hmm. and did a series of movies with him as he grew up, as that character grew up, and oh. used the same actor to play that character. And so it was like from 1959 till I want to say 1977 or 8. Yeah. He did like five or six movies with that character. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, Boyhood brags about being filmed over 12 years, but this guy just kind of kept revisiting yeah. uh, that character played by that actor over, like, almost 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, when you really think about it, Boyhood is less impressive. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I watched that, and then I watched The Walk, which is that Robert Zemeckis, Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie from last year. Yes. Where Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays... Uh, Philippe Petit, I want to say, who's a tightrope walker from France. I don't know why I was on a French kick this week. That, <laughs> I just made that connection right now. Yeah. I, I uh, he plays this tightrope walker from France who uh, basically strung a high wire between the two towers of the World Trade Center and walked across it. Yeah. Uh, like an insane person. And the movie bombed. It made like $4 million or something oh. on like a 30 or $40 million. <laughs> like... It really didn't do well. And it's based, I mean, it's based off a of real life event, but it's also kind of drew inspiration from this movie that came out in 2008 called Man on Wire, which is a documentary. Oh, yeah. So I've seen a chunk of the documentary, and it's an interesting story. Um, the walk is that story, and it's interesting, and it's pretty well put together, but it's kind of, it never really quite meshes. Oh. Um, with its story, I don't know. It's yeah. it's, it's real kind of strange, and uh, I mean, it's it's good. It's not great. It could have been great. I think mm -hmm. maybe in the hands of a different director. Yeah. Um, Robert Zemeckis's later career has been kind of not that good. <laughs> um, although he did Flight, which I enjoyed. I never saw that. Uh, it's good. It's a really good depiction of alcoholism on mm -hmm. film. Really good depiction of alcoholism. 
It has one of the That's most... That's the one with Denzel, right? Yeah. Okay. And John Goodman, who's fantastic in that movie. What? John yeah. Goodman just shows up in all these... Yeah, he plays Denzel's <laughs> drug dealer in it, and he's great. Of course he'd be a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, so The Walk is is sort of that story, and it, it's cool because it has like kind of heisty elements because they have to sneak all this equipment into the World Trade Center. Yeah. So you kind of watch him planning all that, and... Like gathering his accomplices and then mm. executing the plan and like all the stuff that goes wrong with the plan and getting it done. So like all that's pretty exhilarating and like yeah. intense. And um, when it comes to like shooting the tightrope walking, Zemeckis does a really good job of like giving it a sense of scale. Like you're you never really forget how high up he is. So it's yeah. pretty anxiety inducing, yeah. <laughs> even though it like. There was a little chunk of me that was like, yeah, but there's the documentary with real footage of this. Yeah. So it's a little less, like, it's a little less intense. Yeah. Because I know there's real footage of the real guy doing this for real, and this is just, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's stunt double on a stage somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) So it kind of, like, just because it's based off a documentary, it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you would have just told me like, oh, it's based on a real story and here's like a super far away picture of this guy doing it, yeah. it would have been one thing. But there's like living, breathing people that yeah. I've seen talk about it and like seen the footage from. So it kind of like, I think that's what hurts the movie the most probably is that it, it's based off another movie, but the actual well, story. Yes. Yeah, like actual footage. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's still good. And, and like the effects he uses are really good to recreate the World Trade Center and stuff. Mm-hmm. It kind of ends with this, a little bit of a tribute to the World Trade Center, which yeah. it's really, like, I think it's impossible to watch this movie and not think about 9-11. Yeah. Um, even though it's not specifically a movie about 9-11, or about the towers themselves, necessarily. Yeah. Um, but it does kind of, like, because the, the movie starts with him standing on the torch of the Statue of Liberty with the Trade Center in the background and mm-hmm. him talking. Okay. To the audience, breaking the fourth wall, and, and basically telling the audience what the story is. And so, even when it, like, popped up, I was like, oh, man, like, those just aren't there yeah. anymore, you know? It, yeah. Like, it's just, it's impossible in a post-9-11 world to have this story and not think about, yeah. oh, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So, and it kind of ends on that note, like, hey, we know you've been thinking about this the whole time, so. Here it is. We also address it, (laughs) just Mm -hmm. so you know, like, we know that it's impossible to not think about this when telling a story that happens here, so. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it was good. It's worth a watch. Uh, I think there's just a a little bit of roadblocks that are keeping it from being, like, truly great. Yeah. Um, Part of it is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He never quite disappears into the role. He's good in it, and he's... Fluent in French, so... Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. He's fluent in French, so it makes sense why they would cast him, but also it doesn't make sense why they would cast him, because I'm pretty sure there's plenty of French actors. <laughs> Maybe they're like, he will bring in people to see this film. I think film. it was box office, yeah. yeah. They figured he would he would bring in box office, and he did not. <laughs> um, but he also, like, I was just like, yeah, you're just Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you yeah. know? He never just disappears and becomes yeah. the guy. I was just like, like yeah, it's just Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. So, which is fine. I mean, I like that guy. Yeah. But, and also, you know, he's playing a guy who exists, and so it's like, you, yeah, yeah, but actually, you're Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, I'd say watch it. Okay. Um, I think it would have been really cool in IMAX 3D, which is how they released it. Oh, okay. Um, but if you get Vertigo, maybe don't watch it. Yeah, or if you're afraid of heights, I bet. Yes, yes, yeah. I know <laughs> a guy who is 
so afraid of heights, like super afraid of heights, mm-hmm. and like he can't watch people who are working. Yeah, even high. if he's on the ground. Yeah. yeah, he cannot deal with that. So I, the whole time I was thinking of that guy, and I was just like, man, I bet he is. He would crap himself yeah. if he were watching <laughs> this movie right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, if you are not a Heights person, don't watch yep, it. Yep, don't watch this. <laughs> yeah, but it's that's the most impressive stuff in the whole thing, though, yeah. too. So, uh, and just some of the stuff that he does on that tie rope is just insane. Um, like, kneeling down and laying down. Like, just straight up horizontally laying down on the uh, water. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It starts to give me chills just, like, thinking about that. It's like, <laughs> no. Yeah, so that sequence itself is, like, really well-constructed. But, yeah, that's about all I've been watching this week. Yeah, the packed week. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's talk about some news. We've got news to talk about. News for miles. Yeah, we do. Uh, All right. Where do you want to start? Uh, New Suicide Squad trailer. Yep. What do you think? I like it. It looks cool. I've been more on board with it than Batman v Superman for a long time, and this trailer just confirmed it. Jared Leto looks awesome in this. I think he looks so good. I, man, I've been on board with it since they released that first uh, image of him when he had all the tattoos and yeah. the and stuff. Like, people hated on that image, but, yep. like, I totally get it. You have to be super different. Like, yeah, there's... Heath Ledger's version is so iconic, you have to completely change yeah, it. Yeah, there's no way you can do anything even close to that. Mm-hmm. So... I was telling you, as like I was watching the trailer, and when you get to hear his laugh when, like, the Warner Brothers logo comes up, I was just like, yeah. Yeah. For me, it was the shot with the grenade when he's in the tuxedo, and he's, like, all burnt, like, almost two-faced looking. Yeah. And he, like, throws it, and he's like, bye-bye. I was like, ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it looks sweet. I mean, I was telling you off mic, like, I just even like how they started it. Like, mm. they're in the conference room at the Pentagon or whatever, and it's mm. like, what if Superman just busted in? to the White House and just, like, pulled up the president. Like, what could we do to stop him? And I'm like, already, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a nice hook. I'm I'm hooked into this film. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, like, that's what they tried to do with Batman v Superman, but instead of, like, exploring it, they just chose to blow it up with a guy in a yep, wheelchair and, and a, like... glou- a jar of urine. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how you resolve things. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty excited for it. It looks like it's going to be an ensemble piece, mm-hmm. and I like that, especially with like some of the big names they have in it. So yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I think it'll be good. And it looks like they're use at least in the marketing, they're using the Joker perfectly. Where I don't feel like we've seen too much of him. Yeah, we want to see more of him, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like ambiguous as to like how he fits into the team. Because like this last trailer was kind of like you have the four or five initial suicide squad team and then it's like the joker's like not really there but like does he meet up with them later Mm -hmm. or like what how does that fit in and then got to see a little bit more batman so yeah yeah Yeah. well joker's not really a member of the suicide squad oh he's more of an antagonist to them okay yeah so i think he's gonna be end up being like one of the villains okay so he kind of like comes in and like disrupts them yeah okay that's kind of like how the trailer like that's the vibe i kind of got from it yeah because like one of the the i haven't read much suicide squad but the arc i did read was basically um and i don't know how much they're going to get into his relationship with harley yeah um but basically he's upset at suicide squad for taking harley away from him oh. and giving her a purpose right because yeah. the whole thing is like he's super manipulative and like crazy yeah and, like holds this power over her, and she's finding something that's kind of empowering her. Yeah. And breaking his hold over her. And he doesn't like that. 
Oh, okay. So I don't know if they're gonna get that deep with um, yeah with the movie, but I think it'd be cool if they did. Yeah, that'd but be I just, sweet. I don't know if I think that's a really cool theme. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if they'll really do that necessarily. Uh, but yeah, I think he's gonna be more of an antagonist. Okay. Role because the Joker. He's not part of a team. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be insane to be like, oh, here's a mercenary Joker. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? Star Wars Rogue One got a trailer. Yes, Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of that? I thought it looked pretty sweet. Yeah. I thought, like, honestly, we were going to get less than that. Mm-hmm. And so I was surprised about, like, how much we got. Like, it was a full trailer. Yeah. And... It Not looks, just, like, a bunch of still images, either. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah. And a lot of stuff that, like, you and I talked about off mic, like, kind of, like, the war aspect to it looks really sweet, the grittiness. I like that it's going to be a heist film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, Fourth Whitaker looks great. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm so excited for him. So, I mean, it looks it looks very interesting. I mean, like, time will tell, but I'm not, like negative or like super hyped about it i'm just kind of like more positive like this looks sweet yeah i think it looks great i think it looks really really good um i am out of the gate more excited for this than i was force awakens all right um i just like the aesthetic i like that even though they have gone with a very safe backdrop and it's still death star stuff yeah it seems like they're still taking some risks. Mm-hmm. Um, not something I felt necessarily about Force Awakens for yeah. well made as that movie is. <laughs> yes. Very safe, like we talked about yeah. earlier. So with Rogue One, it seems like they're taking a chance, man. Like putting it like a boots on the ground, no Jedi, no Force powers. Yeah. Just straight up like war movie heist. Yeah. Like Great Escape version of <laughs> Star Wars sounds awesome. Like that sounds so cool and. I don't know. There was so much about the trailer that really worked for me. Forrest Whitaker looks like he's awesome in it. Yeah. Uh, that uh, alarm was really cool. Oh, yeah. I thought that was sweet. Um, the space samurai dude. Oh, yeah. He looked cool. Uh, that scene with the Adats. Yeah. Like, in the different terrain other than Hoth looks yeah. sweet. <laughs> um, there's just so much. Because, uh, like, we've only really seen Adats in Hoth. Hoth. Yeah. Was there one in Endor, too? Um, There's the ATST. No, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. just the ATST on yeah. Endor. Yeah, so I'm excited to see them, like, Not doing in stuff snow. again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot, a lot to like about it. Yeah. Um, there's some stuff that's giving me pause. I don't like the setting. Um, yeah. I don't know... The character name, I know it's a weird thing to camp out on, but like... Jin. Jin Ayers, or yeah. whatever. It's a complete reworking of Jan Ors, who's from the Jedi Knight games. Oh, okay. Um, so it seems like they, like, they're kind of having their cake and eating it too, but like really, it se- that seems really lazy to just like make it rhyme. Yeah. Because Jin Ayers is spelled J-Y-N-E-R-O-S, mm-hmm. and... Jan Ors is spelled J-A-N-O-R-S. So it's like, I put on Twitter that I feel like there's going to be a character in the movie named Bluke Blywalker. I'm excited because it's the director of Godzilla, the last Godzilla movie. Oh, okay. I thought you didn't like that one. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, And 
two things that he does really well is he gives a good sense of scale. Yeah. And he gives a good sense of menace to a character who's not necessarily in the movie a whole lot. Yeah. My biggest complaint with Godzilla is that there's not enough Godzilla. Yeah. Um, and he's going to do that with Darth Vader, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like... Because I feel like Vader has to play into this. Yeah. Uh, somehow... So he has to be, like, the big kind of, like, looming threat, like, mm-hmm. on the Death Star, wherever they break in to steal the plans. Yeah, and so I feel like he's going to do a really good job of making Darth Vader menacing again. Yeah. Which, like, we haven't had a menacing Darth Vader in a long time because, yep. I mean, basically since Empire. Yeah. Because Darth Vader, by the end of Six, is yeah. redeemed, mm-hmm. and he's got that great arc with his son, yeah. and then we've gotten three entire movies that are dedicated to <laughs> humanizing him and making us empathize with him. Yeah. So now, even when we go back and rewatch New Hope through Return of the Jedi, yeah. we have this entire like nine-hour backstory for the guy that makes you understand where he's coming from. Yeah. And so, uh, to really make him feel like... To bring in characters that are not connected with him by blood, that only see him as this yeah. just, like, monster who's a threat to their very, like, well-being, yeah. it sounds awesome. Like, that sounds so cool. It's like new lens to look at something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so he's tasked with, like, a big deal of, like, making Darth Vader intimidating. Yeah. And I think he can do it. Um, because he did it with Godzilla. And so... I think I, I think it, it was a smart choice on Disney's part to give this guy a chance. Sweet. Um, so yeah, I think I think Rogue One looks pretty cool. Yeah, I'm like I said, I'm positive about it. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll take a quick break and come back and take you to school. Yeah. Not unlike that Hosier song. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Welcome to another installment of the Before and After Show Film School. Yes, it's been a while. Usually it it's two weeks, but it's been three weeks because we had an in-between show. So you had an extra week to watch Stranger Than Fiction and kind of ruminate on all the things we talked about last time. Yep. So we talked about a, well, overall, like the narrative structure or like, you know, structure of a plot. And so we had all the different things... I'll just run through it really quick. You know, the first act, exposition, where we get our characters' themes, inciting incident, which establishes the conflict, the second act, where we see a lot of the rising action, the building of tension, subplots, other stuff like that, and where we have the climax, which isn't necessarily the end of the film, but it is where the big battle, change, confrontation, something happens that sets the tone of the rest of the film. And then the third act, which usually has Falling action, so that brings resolution to the subplots, etc. And then we have resolution, which usually can be like a hard resolution or a soft resolution. So either the movie tells us how we are to feel, what happens, or it leaves it open to interpretation. So just a quick, that was a quick review of all that stuff. So MJ, 
how did you uh, like watching Stranger Than Fiction with all this stuff in mind? Yeah, um, I, it's a movie I've seen a bunch. If you guys hear papers, I took notes, like physical notes. He's very studious. Movie. So I'm not, is the thing. <laughs> so that paper noise you hear is me flipping through my notes. Um, it was really interesting, especially because the movie is kind of structured... It's structured like a movie, obviously, which yeah. sounds stupid to say because it's a movie. But it's also, like, it's so literary, yeah. too, so it's structured a lot like a book mm -hmm. in the in the same way, which is usually a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not something that I usually like in my movies because they're two completely different mediums. Yes. So, you know, people complain about book-to-movie adaptations all the time, like, the book was better, and it's like, no, the book was different. Yeah. That's the thing, is, like... If you have a book that they turn into a movie and you love the book, don't go in expecting the book. Yeah. Go in expecting a movie. An adaptation of the book. Right. Which sometimes it is done poorly. Yes. It, but that, that's not, like, bearing on the fact that, like, it's a movie, so it's already, like, worse than the book. Yeah. 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 Um, I think a perfect example is Ender's Game. Because yeah. Ender's Game is my favorite book of all time. And the movie is one of the most okay movies of all time. Oh. Uh, as an adaptation of the book, it's pretty eh, mediocre. It cuts out one major plot that is what makes the book one of the best books I've ever oh. read. <laughs> um, but I also understand why they cut it for time, especially yeah. to the audience they were marketing it towards. So it, it's, it's a mediocre movie. It's not all bad yes but as a voracious fan of the book if i were going and expecting like word for word the book it's atrocious yes yes but i wasn't expecting that yeah. so i got like i got what i what it tried to get yeah so um so yeah stranger than fiction has this very literary structure to it mm -hmm. which is really weird yeah um it, in a good way i love this movie yeah I love it's this a great movie. movie i've seen this movie countless times yeah um so I ended up doing uh, four different plot uh, graphs yeah. for this movie, <laughs> and basically settled on the fact that there are three main plots, one plot that wraps around the entire movie as this sort of meta-narrative, yeah. and then two very minor subplots but are very separate stories that converge with the main events of the film. Yes. So there are a total of six separate stories going on in this movie as far as I'm concerned. Yes. That is... <laughs> I, I'm interested to hear you flesh that out more, and I know we texted some about it. Yes. Um, for you guys who are just listening, I'm, we weren't expecting you to come up with six different like plot narratives. So if no. you're like, if you're thrown off, you're like, what? I'm way off base. No, you're not way off base. There's just, we'll explain kind of some of how we got that six, you know, plot narrative structures. But if you just have one or maybe two, that is fine. Yes. So, so MJ, why don't you uh, delve into kind of explaining how you got all of those? And sure. Um, so the how I got all of this is there are basically, like I said, five stories that kind of all revolve around the story of this book. So the plot of the movie is that this man named Harold Crick mm -hmm. is just kind of, he's a tax guy. Yep. Uh, um, and lives a very kind of like boring, meticulous kind of life. Nothing yes. changes. Yeah. And one day he hears 
a voice narrating his life. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that, that voice is a famous author whose name escapes me right now. Um, Karen Eiffel. Karen Eiffel, who is notorious for killing the people in her books. Yes. Um, as a result, uh, to figure out who the voice is, he seeks out the instruction uh, or the advice of a literary professor. Yes. Played by Dustin Hoffman, whose name also escapes me. Jules Hilbert. Jules Hilbert. Um, and together they find out that... It's Karen Eiffel and that she's probably going to kill him. So it becomes a mission for him to find Karen Eiffel Mm -hmm. so that he doesn't die. Yes. And he knows he's going to die because the narration says little did he know something about his imminent death. Yes. Um, So he knows his death is on the horizon by the time she finishes this book. Yes. On top of all of that, um, Harold meets a woman and uh, starts a relationship with her Mm -hmm. and they fall in love. Yes. Uh, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Also, don't remember her name. Yep, I don't remember her name either. Um, <laughs> she wasn't important enough to make my notes. Apparently not, <laughs> even though she's kind of a major player. Yes, she in is, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so the, how I got to six plots is there's one plot where Harold is tr- trying to figure out who the voice is. Yes. Right, so his that plot is you have your opening narration about Harold, mm-hmm. then Harold hears the um the narration so that's your inciting incident rising action rising action uh climax finds out about karen falling action goes to find karen and tell him hey i exist don't kill me yes the second plot harold uh meets maggie gyllenhaal yes um so still same opening uh opening narration um, Harold meets Maggie Gyllenhaal. That's the inciting incident for that plot. Yes. Uh, goes back and forth. She hates him. He likes her. That's the main plot. He's working on the audit. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's there to audit her. Um, she doesn't like him. Uh, she eventually makes some cookies. They start a relationship. Yep. And that's the climax of their story is they start a relationship. Yes. So the climax of their story is that he brings her flowers, F-L-O-U-R-S, which is one yes. of my favorite moments in a romantic movie ever. He brought um, me flowers. Yep. Uh, so he brings her flowers, and then falling action, they're in love now, and starting a happy life together. Yes. Um, the C-plot is with Karen Eiffel herself. Yes. It starts before the movie opens, Mm -hmm. where she's writing this book called Death and Taxes. Yes. And she doesn't know how to, uh kill Harold Crick. That's yes. her inciting incident. So mm-hmm. the the plot we get before the movie, or the plot that's existing before the movie is she, she's writing this book. Her inciting incident yep. is she can't kill this protagonist. She doesn't know how. Plot trying to kill him, plot trying to kill him, plot trying to kill him. Climax, Harold is real. Yes. Uh, falling action, she ultimately doesn't kill. Harold, resolution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The meta narrative in this is the plot of the book itself. Um, the plot of the book itself being there's a guy named Harold, there's a guy, uh, named Harold who's kind of got a boring life, boy meets girl, her name's Anna! Oh, okay. Um, there you go. I wrote it down. Her name's <laughs> Anna, uh, they meet and fall in love, and then he gets hit by a bus. And that's the climax of his story, is he gets hit by a bus. Yes. Falling action is he's okay. <laughs> now his, he's learned a lot of stuff about life in between that. Yeah. And, uh, he's okay and he knows how to go on from here, like from his body cast days into the sort of new life where he's less boring and he's got this girl by his side. Yes. Uh, 
The two very minor subplots are there's a bus driver who's the bus driver that ends up hitting him. Yeah. And there's a child who gets a new bike, and he is the child who Harold gets hit by the bus trying to save. Yeah. But the movie continuously checks in with them. Yes, you see Uh, them at different points. Yeah, so you see a complete arc with them. So you see she's unemployed. She circles a classified ad. She goes and interviews with the bus. She becomes a bus driver. She's driving the bus. Then her climax is she hits Harold. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the kid, you see him get the bike as a gift. You see yeah. kind of a, a little bit of training of like him learning how to ride the yep. bike. And then eventually it climaxes with he's about to get hit by a bus and intersects with Harold yeah. trying to save him. So that's where I got all my plots from. Yes. If, yes. And so like when you first told me that, I was like, initially when we were texting back and forth, MJ was like, this movie has so many. And I was like, what? But then I understood, like, you explained it to me. It's like, oh, that makes sense. When I had designed this for, like, okay, we're going to talk about it on film school, I was thinking all of those ones that you've extrapolated, I would have put them all into one. So it's like Harold and all the stuff, like him falling in love and hearing the voice, I would have called that all one. And then, like, uh, Emma Thompson, Karen Eiffel's, her writing the book, I would have called that too, like the second one. Right. But I very much understand how you can take that and get out to six or seven, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, that <clears throat> I, I feel like it was a very interesting choice of a movie. I yeah. mean, I thought it was like because it's kind of like more literary, but it's still a very like well-made film. It will lend itself like well to explaining like narrative and plot, but I didn't. I wasn't prepared for it to spawn possibly, like, six or seven, like, different plot arcs. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it, I was, like, I wasn't expecting that either, and when I got into it and started digging around, I was like, oh, man, this is actually a really complicated movie for exploring narrative structure, and not that it plays with it a lot, necessarily. It's yeah. It's all pretty conventional plot structure. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like, yeah. Base level, it's very conventional. But because it's got so much going on as far as subplots go, yes. it's very layered. Yes. Um, so that's, I mean, I guess that might be a different topic for a different day. Mm-hmm. So once you get uh, all your main plot stuff figured out, then you can layer all these subplots on top of it. Yeah. And it enriches this world. That's part of what makes this uh, movie really good is there's a lot going on. Yes. And really, I think any movie that would be, that would have this conceit of, you know, Harold hears this voice narrating his life, he tries to figure it out. It would um, basically just be told from his perspective. Yeah. And not really um, fan out into all these other plots. And mm-hmm. so what makes this movie, I think, hold up is it's very rich in story because it does have other things. Yeah. There are other things going on in his life that yes. just aren't the narration. Yes. Um, and, and I think that was a smart choice. Yeah. To have that happening. Uh, combined with the fact that it's Will Ferrell's best performance in yes, anything ever. ever. Yes. <laughs> um, and Emma Thompson's great in it. And Dustin Hoffman's so good in this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's just super well acted all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty con- 
it's not really conventionally directed, but it gives the illusion that it is. Yeah. But it's got these, like, very magical realism elements that I like. Like, his watch is kind of sentient. Yeah. And uh, there's, like, always charts popping up and, like, falling off as he's, like, calculating stuff around. Yeah. Or just even, like, as when you see Emma Thompson's character, like, typing or describing something sometimes. Like, the scene where Harold calls her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, stuff like that where it's kind of, like, that magic element. Like, she's typing the phone rang mm-hmm. and the phone rang again yeah stuff like that yeah i'm a sucker for that kind of stuff too <laughs> um i don't know if you've seen a movie called frequency Mm-mm. oh man i love that movie it's got one of the stupidest plots but it's oh. so like <laughs> it's it's about uh this guy who can communicate with his dead father via cb radio in the past Oh. Uh, and the reason he can do that is because the Aurora Borealis has happened. Oh, okay. That's the only explanation <laughs> that the film ever gives. I love that movie. Um, but it's that magical realism yeah. thing again. So I'm I'm a pretty big sucker for magical realism and Yeah. I like it and I like it in this movie a lot. Yeah, I feel like Stranger Than Fiction is one of the movies that like handles it very well. Like mm-hmm. it makes sense. Like it kind of It comes full circle, like, it makes sense in this world. It's not just like a, oh yeah, because the Aurora Borealis. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you get the full circle of, like, you know, this is just the way things are, and, like, all of her books have been, like, like, it just, it completes, like, the loop, so. Yes. And, um, it's got a lot to say about the story of a life. Yes. Um, in that, you know... What what story are you telling with your life? Yeah. And how are you going to tell that story? And I think that's why, like, that's kind of why plot structure is super important. And I feel like we've kind of broken life up into acts. Yeah. Not three acts, but maybe five. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and... I Like, we relate to stories in that way because, you know... We want to feel like we're part of a story. We want to yeah. feel like we're going to leave something behind that lasts. We want to mm-hmm. leave behind a legacy. Um, you know, like we talked about last week with Hamilton. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. So the this movie like really explores that. And I think that is really good supplemental information to talking about mm-hmm. this subject here. Yes. Um, you know, I don't remember what he says this to, but... Uh, Harold says something to Jules and it's some, some epiphany he's had about life and Jules just looks at him and he says, develop that. And it implies that now Harold has some agency over his life and how it's lived. Yeah. Which he, we know to be true. Yeah. But Harold doesn't know that he has agency in his life, you know? Yeah. And I know a lot of people who are kind of like that in that they're like, oh, I guess this is just what I do. Like, this yeah. is just my career and what I do to, you know... Pay the bills. Yeah, I can't so. change anything. Yeah. yeah, and that's how Harold kind of lives his, li- his yeah. life until all this starts happening. And then he has that interaction with Jules where he says, develop that. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I do have some say in what goes on in my yeah. life. Um, so I think that, like, I don't know. I just really love this movie. I think that that really mm-hmm. um, kind of boosts the, um, the narrative structure yes. of the movie. Like, it boosts that theme... And brings that to the forefront, which is why this is a perfect choice, mm-hmm. I think. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I mean, I feel like this is one of those films I could talk for at length about yes. just all the, especially like plot structure and stuff like this. And not to 
Not to completely, like, jump ship, but, I mean, you know, the last episode we talked about, Batman v Superman, a lot of the problems I had watching that film came down to, like, plot structuring mm -hmm. and the development of subplots and then just abandoning them and other things like that. And so I feel like this is a really good movie that, like, just understands plot structure and narrative structure yes i mean yeah i mean it was it was funny that we did it on the heels of that yeah <laughs> you know, i mean that was a movie that had some definite connective tissue uh, yes problems yes <laughs> so yeah it, it, it's i think it's good to talk about that even as we're headed into this sort of big blockbustery summer uh thing that's going to be happening in just uh over two weeks you know yeah uh, with civil war kicking it off oh man uh i'm excited but at the same time i'm a little worried about the structure of that given how many characters are involved I, uh, yeah so you know it, it, and that's the compromise you have to make is like mm -hmm. characters versus structure and, and yeah how you want this story to be driven like you know, I, the good news with Civil War is we've had, God, 10 movies now yeah. to get to know most of Yeah, so characters. you don't have so, to, like, if you were doing a plot graph of that, the exposition in this movie will be very minimal. I mean, mm -hmm. like, Age of Ultron has essentially set up, but we're going to have the, the actual exposition of, like, here's the, the one law or something that starts this. Right. But all the characters and stuff, we don't need their exposition. We have it already, yeah. basically. And even the characters they're introducing, like Spider-Man, we know how, like, we yeah. are very aware <laughs> how Spider-Man has become Spider-Man at this point. Yes. On film. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm fine if they do it the way they did it in Batman v Superman, where it's like, okay, here's like two minutes of yeah. stuff. You know? Yeah. People had real problems with them showing the Wayne murderer again, and I was like, for real? Like, it did not take us that much. Like, if you're complaining about a minute and a half of this, like, two hour and 40 minute movie. Yeah. Um, oh, it's like literally the first thing that happens and then you don't have to deal with it again yeah. until like way late in the movie. And even then it's like maybe 15 seconds. So <laughs> it's not, I, I really didn't understand people who were like, why does it got to show the Wayne murder again? It's like, well, cause it <laughs> defines this character is why. <laughs> so if Civil uh -huh. War feels the need to show us Peter Parker getting get, bit by a spider. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine as long as they don't make it like 15 minutes. Yeah. Stuff. If we spend like three minutes maximum, then I'm yeah, fine. Yeah, it's like, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One other thing to talk about for plot narrative structure. You said you read the article by Film Crit Hulk. Yes. Yeah. So Film Crit Hulk has this idea that um, the three-act structure is really toxic and doesn't actually make sense for forward momentum mm -hmm. in... Uh, your movie. I don't... I actually... It's one of the few times I didn't agree with Film Crit Hulk. I really didn't understand his argument. I kind of did, I guess. But he basically said that... Forcing the three-act structure makes you have to do too much in too little amount of time. And that we, if we look at Shakespeare, he did a five-act structure. Um, although he didn't really do a five-act structure. He just told a story, and then later on, people broke it up into five acts. Yeah. But um, his argument was that everything that happens in the fourth act, the fourth act of Shakespeare's plays are always the shortest because it's a lot of explaining. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a, lot of, it's a lot of getting to the point. Yeah. That's what the fourth act of a lot of Shakespeare is. His argument was that a lot of people take what would be the fourth act and make it the second act 
of the three-act structure. So by taking the fourth act of the five-act structure and making it the second act of the three-act structure, you're spending the most amount of time on the least interesting part of the story. Okay. I can. I, I kind of understand that. Right. I'm trying to remember because, I mean, I study a lot of Shakespeare in college. I'm trying to remember, though, is like in the fourth act, I feel like a lot of the exposition, though, that you get there is more of like explaining why there was the conflict and why there was like the misunderstanding or whatever that it's not necessarily like introducing the characters and the whole setup for everything right but that would be the first act anyway yeah so what he's saying is the fourth act because the fourth act is everything that leads to the climax yeah because the fourth act should end with or right next to the climax of a shakespeare play yes it always does and so he's saying that if you take the three act structure and you make the second act be the part that makes it to the, th- the the climax, and then make the third act be the falling action from that, you've essentially made that part the longest part of your movie. Okay. And you therefore have kind of killed the momentum. Yeah. Because it's explaining <clears throat> how we got to the climax. Yes. Um, and it, the weirdest part of the argument, though, is that his definition of an act, which he got, I think he may have gotten out of the dictionary, I'm not sure. His definition of an act was any time a character, of an act break. Okay. Is any time a character makes a choice that they cannot come back from. Um, and he was, he basically was talking about like, that's super abstract. Like, yeah. you couldn't be like, okay, well in this movie, Ryan Reynolds woke up and he got a bowl of cereal and he chose that cereal and that's what he had for breakfast, so therefore that was act one. Yeah. Because he made the choice. Like, he can't come back from that cereal choice for breakfast. Yeah. That's not an act. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's, okay. It's a meaningful, it's a meaningful like choice. Like, he killed somebody. Yeah. He can't come back from that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's saying that, you know, he's seen movies that have one act break. And he's seen movies that have, like, 27 act breaks. It's mm-hmm. just, like, it depends on what choices you have the characters make. Yeah. And I don't know how much I agree with that. <laughs> but I feel like in hearing that argument, I feel like you could still... Someone else could define that as, like, it's a way you're developing the character that you're building tension and creating, like, rising action. And you would call it that. Well, that <clears throat> and also, at what point does character separate from story? Because yeah. if you're talking about, like, his idea is that they're they're married, <clears throat> and I don't necessarily buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that your character arc can be extremely separate from your main arc. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters <laughs> doesn't have any meaningful character arcs whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone at the end of the Ghostbusters is the exact same yep. person they were at the beginning of Ghostbusters. Yeah, no one takes a journey. No one grows or develops. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what's a good movie? Ghostbusters. Yeah. So, like, Ghostbusters doesn't, by, by film crit hulk standard... Ghostbusters doesn't have an act break outside of they choose to become the Ghostbusters. Yeah. That's true. That's it. Yeah. So his idea, like, his argument in that movie is he used Green Lantern. Okay. And he says that Green Lantern only has one act break. Um, and that makes it a terrible movie. But I just said that Ghostbusters only has one act break and everyone loves Ghostbusters. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always subjective. But that argument is so strange to me. Yeah, I don't uh, think I don't think characters and story necessarily have to be married. Yeah. Because sometimes you can watch a film, like you said, and 
maybe you get some really awesome character development and they're not like integral to the main plot. Like maybe mm-hmm. they're like a subplot and you're like, that character was really good, but I know this film isn't about them. Like, you know, they're a side character. The Force Awakens, General Hux. Oh, yeah. He's a really cool character. Yeah. He doesn't get a lot of development, but Domino Gleason acts the crap out of that part. Yeah, I he really does. like him in that movie. But <laughs> you give him nothing to do, but he's a really interesting character. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know, because it just seems, it seems like he's, he's confusing character arc for narrative structure. Yeah. Those are two separate yeah, things. Yeah, and they're not the same thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, sometimes they are, they can, for sure. They can be, but I mean, like... It's not mutually exclusive. I mean, this would be a whole other episode we get yeah. talking about, like, round characters and flat, static characters, a yeah. whole lot, you know... And foils and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think they're two different things. Yeah. So the whole argument was super flawed as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. Until he got to the, the like... I think if he would have started with the uh, Shakespeare five-act structure... Yeah. Versus the, like, movie narrative three-act structure, it would have been... And eliminated anything about the characters, it would have been a much stronger argument from the beginning. Yeah. But because he starts with that character arc thing, I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. The whole article. So it didn't... I don't know. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd still be interested to read it. It's worth a read. Like, yeah. he's a good writer. He's yeah. a really good writer. And he knows his stuff. So it's not like he's yeah. totally wrong or off base. Yeah, I feel like it's more of a... It comes down to how you want to define things and, like, your relation of characters and story. It, yeah. It kind of... I don't want to say semantics, but it's kind of... I feel like we could be talking about the same thing and be calling it different things. Yes. So. I agree. So yeah, that's Film Crit Hulk's take on the three act structure. Sweet. Yep. But I still feel like it is pretty much a staple of yes. most films nowadays and probably forever. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, we'll take another quick break and be back to talk about a couple of Disney movies. Yeah. And we're back for a second time. Yay! I think. Yes, anyway. So we're here this week to talk about um, Disney's new upcoming live-action Jungle Book. Whoop whoop! Yeah! And the movie that is going to go alongside it is Disney's new live-action Cinderella that came out last year? I want to say it was last year. I think so. It may have been 2014, but I'm pretty sure it was 2015. I think so. Yeah, so do you want to tackle that one first, since it's the older um, movie? So, Disney's been doing this thing where they've been remaking a lot of their classic uh, animated films. I I totally thought you were going to be like, so Disney's been doing this thing where they, like, own everything. (laughs) That too. (laughs) That too. But, in addition to owning literally everything, I read this thing today (laughs) where Disney made... Over 50% of the total money made at the box office last year. Wow. Yeah. It's like, you're like, that's not possible. But then you stop and think about, okay, they own Star Wars. They own Marvel. And they do original content. Yep. And they have their own, like, IPs and stuff. And Pixar. Yep. And Pixar did two movies last year. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, (laughs) It is insane to me. So one of the things they've been doing is they've been taking their 
classic um, older animated films and have been giving them a remake. Yes. That has been live action. So we kind of talked about this off mic where I guess you could argue that Maleficent started it, but also not really because it's not straight up Sleeping Beauty's story. Yeah. Uh, I actually haven't seen Maleficent, but I also know it's not Not Sleeping Beauty's story. I heard it was okay. I heard it wasn't bad, but I heard it wasn't good. I felt like it was in the vein of like those Snow White spinoffs they keep doing. Why do they keep doing those? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, so the first official kickoff to this was Cinderella, which actually came out kind of quietly um, last year sometime. I couldn't even tell you March 6th of 2015. Uh, I feel like it just kind of flew under the radar. And I didn't know much about it. Um, I know Kate Blanchett is in it. Yeah. Uh, as the stepmother, which is, I think, really good casting. But there's one little fact that I didn't know that completely 180'd me on this movie. And that is, before it came out, I had no idea Kenneth Branagh directed this movie. Yeah, I just was about to say, I was like, what? Yeah, that totally blindsided me. And it made me significantly more interested in what they're doing. <laughs> um, because I kind of felt like I was a little cynical about it and felt like it was a little bit of a cash grab. Yeah. And then I found out Kenneth Branagh did it, and I was like, oh, no, that's the perfect person to do a live-action <laughs> Cinderella movie because he has this tendency for the grand yeah. in his movies. Like, he's he's very uh, lavish and opulent in what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've seen Hamlet. yes. I mean, one of the all-time greatest yeah. Shakespeare adaptations. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. And so faithful, which means it's so long. Yes, it is. Um, but it's kind of like the cast is superb. And yeah. Like the, it's uh, like top-tier people. Yeah. Like, you get into the drama world, and it's like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, how do you feel about Kenneth Branagh? I... I mean, like, I, like you said, like, all, like, he just, I feel like he has a lot of, what is the word, like, I guess, like, respect for, like, theater and, you know, I guess, I don't know if tradition's the right word, but, like, like, how you said, it's like, he's not going to shorten a film just because it's like, oh, da-da-da-da-da, and, like, cut this part out. I feel like he's very, like, I want to honor these things. You know, yeah. Um, he's had kind of a weird career um, as a director. I feel like uh, he's got. I mean, he's he did much ado about nothing and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Hamlet, um, Love's Labor's Lost, Henry V. Henry V. But then he also did Thor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he did the uh... Jack Ryan. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, what was that him? Yeah, I guess. Yep, yeah, that's kind of weird. Nobody saw, but... <laughs> so, Thor, though, I really liked... Um, I, I think he was the perfect person for Thor. It's not a particularly well-loved movie by a lot of people. I mean, it's it's okay. Yeah. Like, that's where... <laughs> but the thing he did with Thor is he made me buy into that world immediately. And I think his sort of flair for that grandiose stuff yeah. really, really made me buy into Asgard. 
Yeah. And he made very smart choices in that movie by giving us, like, a couple minutes on Earth and then, boom, right into Asgard to see how Thor got to Earth. Yeah. So he basically forces you into buying into that reality. Mm -hmm. Um, And Thor is one of, if not the hardest Avenger to buy into. Yeah. uh, Because he's a literal god. Yep. (laughs) Um, And so there's a lot of world building that needs to be done uh, to acclimate us, but it also has to be convincing. Yep. And I think uh, Kenneth Branagh did a very convincing job. I think the best stuff in that movie all happens in Asgard. Yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of what led to Tom Hiddleston's like crazy iconic performance. Hiddleston has a stage background. So does Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. He knows exactly how to direct that guy. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what brought Hiddleston, like, what kind of boosted him into that. Really, the only iconic villain role that um, yeah. Marvel has ever had. <laughs> yes. Um, to the point where he's so beloved that they had to reshoot Thor 2 to put him in it more. Yeah. Um, and also, that guy didn't do, uh, Kenneth Branagh did not direct Thor 2. And it was not as good. Yep. So, I like Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, I I mean, like, I'm looking through his movies, and I'm like, this is interesting. I haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of these. I'm like, I didn't know he did Jack Ryan. But, yeah, for the stuff I have seen, like his, his Hamlet, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Like, he knows his stuff. Yeah, and he's a good actor, too. Like, he's a perfect Gilderoy Lockhart. I yeah. Like, like he was born to play that role it seems <laughs> um he's not in Cinderella but he directed it and as a result what i'm expecting out of it is i think it's going to have this cool aesthetic that feels very um stagey yeah. And I like that his movies feel very stagey because he's a theater director. Yeah. And so whenever, like, I mean, <laughs> if you watch Hamlet, um, a lot of the deaths can play very cheesy. Yes. In they... the context of a movie, but in the context of a stage play, that's just how they do deaths in stage yeah. plays. So it, it's, he, he has this cool aesthetic where he blends this sort of stage and screen style mm-hmm. of filmmaking. Yeah. And I'm hoping to see that out of Cinderella. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, because he did have, like, a Disney-sized budget. Yes. So uh, there's probably more effects than uh, he would have on one of his Shakespeare adaptations. You know, part of the reason why Hamlet, a lot of the deaths are like, stab, cover, cover, squeeze the blood packet. Because we Um, have no way to actually show, yeah. Yeah, because we don't have an effects budget, so you gotta do it yourself. (laughs) Um but, I, so with that, like, he can do a lot of the, like, I have no real expectations from this movie. Yeah, me neither. I feel like I'm just kind of like, I don't think it's going to be bad. Like, I just feel like, oh, this will be kind of a uh, more modern but faithful retelling of Cinderella. I mean, like, some of the cast is, inter- like, interesting. Like, okay, Kate Blanchett, and I was like... Oh yeah, Helena Bonham Carter's in this. Is she? The fairy godmother. So just... What? Yeah. Mm. I mean, she's worked with him on, like, a number of stuff, you know, That's and her, her background is, like, stage stuff, too, so it doesn't completely surprise me. I feel like she gets typecast a lot because it's like, oh, she played the crazy Bellatrix in Harry Potter, but she yeah. she's very versatile. I mean, like, how 
she's in the King's speech and she's super good in that. That's true. So. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as I know, this Lily James woman is kind of a newcomer. Yeah. Um, it looks like the stuff she's been in is fairly recent. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't... Uh, Wrath of the Titans, which I didn't see. I heard that was horrible. Yeah, I mean, Clash of the Titans was bad. Uh, but... I'm, oh, she's from Downton Abbey. Oh. Got it. She's Rose McClare on Downton Abbey. One so, of the sisters. Okay. I think my... I told you Hannah, like, watched through that, and I saw it peripherally, but I'm pretty sure she is a sister. That okay. makes sense. One Got of the it. main characters for a while. Got it. So, yeah, with Cinderella, I don't... I, like... I, I've just heard that it's good, and yeah. Kenneth Branagh's involvement uh, in it really makes me excited about it. I think yeah, I think he's the perfect person to pull off this specific Disney story, mm-hmm. and I think that'll kind of lead us into the Jungle Book discussion in that the talent they're starting to pull in for these live-action uh, Disney animated film remakes is pretty good. Like, John Favreau yeah. is directing this movie, and the cast is incredible. Yeah. Um, next year, we're getting Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've looked at the cast for that Beauty and the Beast adaptation, but it is insane. Um, Emma Watson's playing Belle. Yeah, I knew that. Uh, Ewan McGregor is playing Lumiere. Oh, Yeah. Uh, Stanley Tucci is playing Cadenza. Emma Thompson is playing Mrs. Potts. Ian oh, McKell- really? Mm-hmm. Ah. Ian McKellen is playing Cogsworth. Oh, sweet. Kevin Klein is playing Maurice. <laughs> uh, I don't know who's playing the Beast. Yeah, who is playing the Beast? It doesn't say here on IMDb. Dan Stevens? Oh. That's what I don't know. Got it. Uh, Luke Evans is playing Gaston. Um, oh, he was a guy in Down Nabby. Okay. Oh, got it. Yep. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's just got a crazy good pedigree yeah. behind it. Like, cra- I'm so excited for Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. But um, the Jungle Book cast is no slouch either. You've got Bill Murray playing Baloo the Bear. Yeah. Uh, Scarlett Johansson as Ka. Um, Christopher Walken is... King Louis, uh, Ben Kingsley is, uh, is uh, Bagheera. Bagheera. Idris Elba is um, Shere Khan. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, Giancarlo Esposito is Aquila. I'm. Oh, Gary Shandling's in this. Uh, rest in peace. He oh. just died. Uh, I I don't know. I'm really really excited for the Jungle Book. Yeah. And. Part of it is I love the old Jungle Book movie. That's yeah. like one of my favorite animated movies of all time. Mm-hmm. It's probably in my top three favorite Disney movies. Yeah. I watched the crap out of this movie <laughs> when I was a kid. Um, so I'm interested to see like where it goes from here. John Favreau, he clearly knows how to give us uh, really good spectacle yeah. and really good characters. I mean, I think from a purely objective whatever that word means standpoint <laughs> Iron Man is like the best Marvel movie 
just because of what it means in terms of cinema. It's a turning point. <laughs> yeah. Iron Man's a turning point in the history of all of cinema. And, like, it's crazy, like, that John Favreau is the guy who did that. Yeah. Um, and he did it well. Like, that's a super well-made yeah, movie. Yeah, it still holds up. Yeah. You go back and watch it, and even though it was, like, the cornerstone of, like, the MCU, it's still, like, very rock solid, like, in terms of, you know, the film, the story it tells. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And he's got this indie background. Like, he started with Swingers and Made, and, and mm-hmm. basically him and Vince Vaughn got put on the map from those two movies. But as a result, he, like, wasn't, he didn't have a big budget on those movies. Yeah. And he had to, you know, he had to make movies with really compelling characters. Yeah. And so what he did when he approached Iron Man, which is his biggest movie he's ever done, or at the time was the biggest movie he'd ever done, he approached it um, very much from a character standpoint first, and you can tell. Yeah. Because the characters are there 100% in Iron Man 1. Yep. Um, And then he, he worked out from there. And made this, like, this really fun story. Yeah. It's not, like, the story is probably the weakest part of Iron Man 1. Yeah. But it's coherent and, like, yeah. moves stuff along really nicely. Like, mm-hmm. one of the most perfectly paced movies I've ever seen is yeah. Iron Man 1. And, uh... But the, the the characters are all what make... I mean, like, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Bridges is great as Obadiah Stane. Yeah. Um, and the guy who plays his his partner that helps him build the first Iron Man suit is great. Like oh, that yeah. That doctor guy, he's so oh, yeah. cool. Uh, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow is a good pepper, and mm-hmm. I don't like Gwyneth Paltrow that much. <laughs> um, but he, he is, he put together really solid characters. Yeah. So with Jungle Book, I'm hoping that's the case. I hope he's put together really solid characters. Mm-hmm. It looks to me like the spectacle is there. Yeah. And it looks great. I think this movie looks incredible. It's the best CGI animals I think I've ever seen. Yeah. In anything. But I don't know if the characters are there because we haven't seen a lot of the characters in the trailers. Yeah. Which makes me think he's got some tricks up his sleeve. Uh, which I like. <laughs> I'm excited for. So, yeah. I, what do you think about Jungle Book? I, I honestly, this one has flown under the radar for me. Like, I've heard the different things of like, oh, they got like Bill Murray and like, you know, like Idris Elba and stuff like that. And so I've, I've kind of been like, oh, that, that'll be interesting. Like, not, not like I've been like super hyped for it, but I'm like, it'll be interesting to see like how, <clears throat> how this movie does. And kind of like you, um, growing up, it's like the Jungle Book is, Probably one of, like, my favorite Disney movies. Probably, like, in my top ten list. And, you know, <clears throat> really good music. Man. I I liked it. It's just, I like the whole aesthetic of the Jungle Book. So it'll just be interesting to see that kind of, like, reworked for the modern, like, you know, audience. And so I guess I'm kind of excited to see that. Because, you know, it's something that we're all, like, very familiar with. But, like, seeing it reimagined in a different mm-hmm. way. But still staying, it seems like it's still staying very faithful to, you know, the overall story of the Jungle Book. So, I, I, I'm expecting to like it, you know. Yeah, I actually have really high hopes for this movie. <laughs> like, I think it could be astounding. Um, I've heard people <laughs> saying that on a technical level, it's the biggest leap forward since Avatar. Wow. Yeah. Um, Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. I, I heard that twice today. Yeah, uh, it's got it's sitting at 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now. I can I I don't know how many reviews. Yeah, um, but 
I was kind of scrolling through them, and it was a it was a sizable amount, like more than twenty, it seemed like. Whoa. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I really think this movie's gonna be good. Yeah. And I think John Favreau has a lot to do with that. Uh, I just think that. He understands what these characters, what makes these characters work. Yeah. And I think he just understands people. Because if you look at his non-super spectacle movies, it's yeah. just about people. Yeah, and like, they're really good. Yeah, like Chef is yeah. just about a guy. But he understands that guy and he understands the other characters around that guy, like his family. And so it just feels like very personal. Yeah. Yes, and that's I think that's one of the best things that he's able to do as a director. Yeah. Is make these things feel, feel very personal. But he's also a guy who grew up loving spectacle, like loving the spectacle of cinema. Yeah. And so when he gets a chance to marry those two things, it, the result is usually pretty compelling. Yeah. Um, you know, even Iron Man 2, which is probably my least favorite Marvel movie of all time... I think a lot of that doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily Favreau's fault. Yeah, I think they rushed him into production on it. I think he didn't have enough time to hammer it out. Yeah, and I think they had him have they made him have to hit a certain set of stuff. Yeah. in order to set up for the Avengers. Yep, and so I think there was a lot of studio pressure on him that kind of made that movie fail. Yeah, um, but I think the movie's well made. Like I think some of the action. What little there is is yeah. actually pretty good. Yeah. And I think Whiplash is an interesting character. Yeah. To, to sort of take on, you know, <laughs> kind of Tony's past coming back to haunt him. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy who has clearly been affected by Stark Industries and yeah. their past. And, you know, uh, Stark's whole whole uh, arc is about his legacy. Yeah. And what that means to him now. Um, so, is like, super capable. Like, he knows yeah. what's up. Yeah. And... So I just think, I think Jungle Book is going to be, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be great. Uh, Disney's already greenlit a sequel for it. Really? The movie's not out yet, and they're moving forward with Jungle Book 2. Really? Yep. Wow. Yeah, that came out today that they're moving forward on it. All right. Yep. And so it looks like that's going to be Favreau's next movie is Jungle Book 2. Wow. Yep. <laughs> that's so crazy to me. Um, one thing I'm hoping... I know this is a super, like, pie-in-the-sky high hopes, but I really hope it's a musical. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, I don't know, like, are they going to cut that, or... And, I mean, it'll be interesting, us watching Cinderella. For For all accounts and things I thought I heard about Cinderella, I feel like I thought they cut out most of the music in it. Like, I don't think... Mm -hmm. I don't... So, I don't know, but, I mean, I feel like one of the core like characteristics of the jungle book is like the music it has such good music like yes. you know like the bare necessities and then like i want to be like you man like that's like one of my favorite disney songs of all time <laughs> i know it's so good huh so i'm just kind of like maybe they'll keep the core ones and cut some of the yeah the smaller songs but i feel like at least those two you gotta have those yeah those are the two <laughs> that i really want um I mean, we got a little bit of it in the trailer with Bill Murray, or Baloo, whistling. Mm-hmm. He whistles uh, Bare Necessities at the end of the trailer. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to necessarily give him a full musical number. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Walken is playing King Louie. I don't know how much I want to hear Christopher Walken sing. I was going to be like, can he sing? <laughs> yeah. He can dance. Yeah. Uh, he's a super good dancer, but yeah, I don't know. <sighs> and also, King Louie's gigantic. 
in this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, he's like a huge, like he's as big as the temple, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I'm, I, I, I'm <laughs> probably out of all the, out of all the animals, I'm probably most excited to see a King Louis played by Christopher Walken. Yeah. That sounds <laughs> absolutely crazy. And I love it. Yeah. I'm just excited to just, like I said, see it reimagined again. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, it's one of those Disney movies that I'm like, I don't know if it gets like overshadowed or people forget it, but like, cause you know, immediately like Disney movies, people are like, oh, Lion King, Aladdin, and mm-hmm. you know, Little Mermaid, stuff like that. And like, yeah, those movies are great, but then there's like some of those other ones that I feel like kind of fall under like tier two, even though I don't think they should be tier two, like Jungle Book and Robin Hood and oh, stuff. Oh man, Robin Hood's so good. I know. Uh, and even the music in that movie is really good. Heck so. yeah. Oh man. I, don't get me started on the music <laughs> from Robin Hood. We'll be here all night. Ooh, lolly. Uh, okay. Gosh, Roger Miller is a genius and everyone should listen to him always. I love Roger Miller. Go listen to him right now. Yeah, he's so good. Uh, <laughs> King of the Road yeah. is a song that he did. Could we get a live action Robin Hood? I don't how I would feel about that. It'd be like Fantastic Mr. Fox-ish. No. <laughs> oh, man. If we could get a stop motion Wes Anderson uh, Robin Hood, let's do that. Those things will never happen. Never. Ever. In a million years. But like a bunch of CGI foxes running around actual woods being Robin Hood <laughs> sounds really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> sounds really stupid. Uh. Uh, that would be the most ridiculous looking thing. I know. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. The mental image of that. <laughs> of just like a real castle, but here's this like CGI fox with a bow and arrow. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, so anyway. Um, yeah. Jungle Book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Jungle Book, I think, will be... Uh, I think it'll be fun. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. I like this trend of... Uh, Getting some blockbusters out of the way before it gets real bad in the summertime. Because this summer we've got we've got some stuff coming up. Yeah, we do. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, until next week, you can find us on SoundCloud, yep. on iTunes, on Facebook, on Twitter at Before and After Pod. You can follow me on Twitter personally at mjsmith eight nine one, and you can follow me at Cat in the Hat forty nine. Um, email the show before and after show at gmail.com we're check, on YouTube yep check us out on YouTube hear MJ's thoughts on everything under the sun not everything yet yes not yet not yet that's the plan though yes. everything under the sun I think is the goal of the YouTube channel yes um, just politics uh, spirituality I'm Every, just ev- everything everything. Yeah. everything next week he's going to review Man of Steel but it'll be great <laughs> all right I mean, I guess I could. <laughs> uh, yeah, so until next week, uh, go watch a Disney movie. Yeah. Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs>